is that how hyperspace works? Is this basically magic? Yes. <laughs> is this why people fall in love? Yes. <laughs> Did this cause the eclipse? Their hearts are quantumly entangled. <laughs> Welcome to Better Worlds, a podcast exploring geek culture across mediums. I'm Trevor. I'm Dustin. And I'm Matthew. Today, we are going to be talking about science things with Dustin. The quantum of entanglement. This is a very special quantum physics episode. We have had several superhero-related episodes in a row, and... Now we're talking about a real superhero, Dustin. <laughs> we are now doing a pop culture free episode. Yes, featuring Dustin. Free? But first, I, I wouldn't say pop culture free. Oh, right. But first, pop culture. <laughs> <laughs> first, pop culture, yes. Um, what do we got for follow-up? Well, we do have a thing for follow-up from you. My thing is like fourth down the list. Well, you said follow-up, so I went to the one that says follow-up. Okay, we'll start with the mine. The others are just like... Okay. I have a couple items of Stranger Things, by which I mean four or five Stranger Things follow-up <laughs> items. Number. So are each of these strange things getting progressively stranger? or mm, I don't know if any of them are all that strange. First, I want to say, Matthew, I am not trying to convince you to watch Stranger Things. That is not the purpose of this follow-up. I would like to add that I am. <laughs> I did have someone else give an impassioned, not necessarily you should watch it, but an impassioned discussion about how into it she was. Okay. I enjoy Stranger Things, but I despite our conversation last week, I'm not going to try to convince you to watch it. Um, despite what any of my following comments sound like, because I don't have any particular reason to think that it is particularly suited to you. And even if I did, I know that telling you that would not necessarily be the way to maximize your enjoyment. If you ever did watch it. So I appreciate the disclaimers, although they aren't strictly needed. Okay. <laughs> I was trying to think of things that I could compare it to that aren't at all related, but like, for instance, say, Matthew, you like Firefly, right? Oh, well, you'd totally love Stranger Things. And, but I just decided not to do that other than the, I just did it. (laughs) (laughs) That would probably be setting way too high a bar, Dustin. Yeah. No, it would be like ridiculous. (laughs) Not like they're not at all related. <laughs> and then I would just come in at some other podcast and be like, You lied to me. <laughs> there were no spaceships in there. <laughs> I the next thing I want to say was there is very little skin eating, but there that technically isn't in Firefly, it's just reference. And there probably is some skin eating. I don't know. It is stranger uh, things. Okay, I do <laughs> I do have actual follow-up items to talk about. Uh, <laughs> well, don't let us stop you. <laughs> you guys are throwing off my train of thought here. 
Okay. I wanted to say one thing that I really appreciate a lot about the show is the fact that it's TV 14 because it seems like most of the really hyped up shows that are highly regarded are rated mature. Mm -hmm. And that's just really annoying. So I, I mean, this is still definitely not a show to watch with kids, but it is far more watchable than a lot of the other shows. If you don't want to see certain things. Um, okay. And the other thing I wanted to follow up on is the conspiracy aspect. Listener Curtis said that Lilo and stitch was a pretty good analog for the amount of conspiracy stuff or the degree to which conspiracy was important to the plot was roughly similar to Lilo and stitch. I love Lilo and stitch. I don't know if that's a perfect metaphor, but I can see where he's coming from. Not metaphor, but comparison. Um, I have been thinking about it this week and I think I've come up with a closer match than ET in terms of the conspiracy stuff. ET, the show definitely draws inspiration from ET, but in terms of the amount of conspiracy stuff, I actually think the best match is Firefly. Which is not to say that the show is like Firefly, but I feel like the conspiracy stuff is similar in terms of plot importance and the amount that it's shown. Hmm. See, Matthew, I told you it's just like Firefly. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, now, think- I'm trying to, now I'm trying to think of like you're right, there is kind of a conspiracy element, but it doesn't annoy me at all in Firefly. And now I don't know why that is. I That is the next thing that I was thinking about after realizing the similar levels. Um, I almost wonder, maybe it's just because it doesn't necessarily have any close links to actual conspiracy theories. That could be it. Is it, is it, it might be the links to actual conspiracy theories or the even just possible links or similarities. Um, so is it, it could be that I'm just mapping frustration with people overly focusing on conspiracy things in real life onto stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. Cause there have definitely been times that people are obsessing over conspiracy theories that annoy me. And then something similar shows up actually happening in a TV show. And I'm just like, I feel like this is just feeding their paranoia. Anyway, we don't have to dwell on that. Hmm. I just wanted to make a couple of notes. There is some conspiracy stuff in the Marvel Netflix shows though. Does that not bother you? And what are, what specific elements are we talking about? I'm not like a un, unapologetic advocate for all of them. Um, well, I just watched Luke Cage and it seemed like there was some conspiracy stuff in that in terms of like where the powers came from and stuff. Oh, I guess I didn't, it didn't read like that. I guess. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I want to talk about this cause it would be kind of spoilery. I guess I see what you're saying, but I, I, I don't really want to talk about that cause it gets spoilery with shows that are okay. pretty new. So moving on. Okay. What else do we have for follow-up? 
Mm. Who wants to talk about Kong Skull Island? Well, I did. I just wasn't sure if that qualified as follow up. But so the uh, this weekend I rented Kong Skull Island. It was a movie that I had wanted to see for a while. I didn't obviously at since I rented it, I didn't watch it in theaters. But I like big monster movies, as I mentioned in our discussion about Pacific Rim. Um, and I mean, overall it was okay. It wasn't my favorite kaiju movie, but it was interesting in that it teased a future set of movies. And everyone that I've talked to about this has been like, oh yeah, we knew that all along. And it's just been news to me. So, um, in the very beginning of the movie, uh, the characters work for Project Monarch, which was shown in the like the vintage film in the opening credits of the new Godzilla movie. And so I, was, I realized, oh, these must be connected somehow. And then I started reading online and found out that they had already announced a Kong versus um, Godzilla movie in the future. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. It was kind of fun. Have either of you guys seen that movie? No. No. Okay. Well, if you do, uh, fast forward through the credits so that you can see the um, post-credits shot. They're probably, I mean, in a way, like, you know there was a Godzilla versus King Kong movie back in the day, right? Now I do. Oh, yeah. It was like from the <laughs> 70s or so. But the problem was they made King Kong a lot bigger than he was so that it could actually be a fight because if you're actually just doing relative sizes, then um, it's a yeah. pretty quick fight. And I'm very on one side of who should win in all of it. So I didn't want a them being equal movie. I just wanted an outright slaughter that lasted 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> um. Your team Godzilla, right? That is a safe assumption. <laughs> yes, I also am team Godzilla. Um, so one of the beefs that I had with this movie was that it seemed like King Kong changed size based on shot. Like in one scene, he seemed to be extremely huge based on things around him, and in another scene, he didn't seem to be nearly that large based on things around him. And so it was kind of disorienting. I just wanted them to make up their mind. It had um, Samuel L. Jackson, and he recycled one of his lines from Jurassic Park. Nice. I laughed a lot with that. Is it the one I'm thinking of? I, I don't know what you're thinking Is it about of. Holding Hold on to things. your butts. Yeah, it's holding on to something, that's okay. for sure. Wait, what? <laughs> he doesn't have a cigarette in his mouth when he says it this time, though. Oh. So it's a little... I mean, it loses something there. <laughs> um, So that's Kong Skull Island. There were a couple articles that I thought would be interesting to talk about. Oh, you mentioned Pacific Rim while you were talking about Kong Skull Island, and that reminded me of mm-hmm. my other item of follow-up that I forgot to put on the list. I mentioned in the last episode 
that cosmic forces are conspiring to keep me from ever watching Pacific Rim. And you reassured me that I would see it at the cookout, which was scheduled for two days ago before this recording. And I just want the listeners to know that (laughs) once again, the universe has succeeded in foiling my plans and the cookout was postponed. And I do not think the cookout will ever happen as long as we plan to watch Pacific Rim at it. Well, let's just switch to Top Gun. But then it will have definitely won. (laughs) What I mean to say is let's switch to Top Gun. Wink. Oh. (laughs) We just won't tell the universe, I see. (laughs) Never know. Don't be hasty, Trevor. Yeah, it's, <laughs> that is a funny happenstance. So can I go on to the articles yeah. that I thought were interesting? Sure. Um, one article was shared by listener Curtis um, about a new uh, species of dinosaur that's been named. Um, <clears throat> it is a titanosaur, which is a class of sauropod. And it is the largest land animal ever found, uh, replacing Argentinosaurus. This one is called Patagotitan. They have a pronunciation in here, but I have a problem with it. So in the article, it says it's pronounced Patagotitan Maorum. Maorum. It was found in Argentina in the the region of Patagonia, and they say it's the second part of its name is an homage to the family that hosted the researchers uh, with the last name of uh, Mayo. So it should be uh, Mayorum, but it says Mayorum, so whatever. But Patagotitan... Mayorum is the new largest land animal ever to be found. They just keep getting bigger. Did you say how big it was? Uh, I did not. It is. It weighed, uh, or at least they estimate that it weighed 76 tons, uh, which is almost the weight of the space shuttle. Um, It was about 112 feet long which is, they say, 70% the width of a football field. And its uh, shoulder would be 20 feet high. So it's a big dinosaur. Do you have a non-football field measure for the length? Yeah, 112 feet long. Super. (laughs) Um, I'm just reading the, let's see, it's the third paragraph of the article itself where they give see i don't know how long wide a football field is i mean i could do math oh did it say wide or long but wide okay yeah um that's weird because length of football field is like the universal american measure right i thought that was odd that they chose width as well but how long is this couch well oh you know one fiftieth of a football field. It's just how everybody <laughs> talks about everything, apparently. Totally. 
had a one two hundredth of a football field length cut on my finger the other day. Mm. I'm just making this up. <laughs> um, at the bottom of the article, they made a note that the earlier version had said it was the length of the football field, but then they realized their math did not add up. So, Trevor, it's 37 meters long, if that Thank you. means more to you. I was I wanted to ask, but I was afraid to. Yeah. I don't yet have a really solid mental image of meters, unfortunately. It's six meters tall at its shoulder. And they don't give a metric weight for it. All right. Give me just uh, a second. The, oh. Are you looking up its weight in tons, but with an, with two N's and an E? An X-Wing fighter is 12.5 meters long. So how many X-Wings is it? Two X-Wings? Is that what you said? No, you said 37. Sorry. Three X-Wings. Three X-Wings long. Three X-Wings long. Um, I was thinking you said uh, 24, 25. No. Let's see. They, they mentioned buses in here somewhere, I thought. But it's been a while since I've read that. I don't see it. Most of the time when you see a, an article about sauropods, it compares it to elephants or buses or something like that. I thought that the fact that it was nearly as heavy as the space shuttle was impressive. It is. I feel like B-wings are a really accessible metaphor. <laughs> yeah, my cut... W- I'm not even going <laughs> to... How long is a B-wing, Trevor? 16.9 meters. Can we really speak of its length? It Wouldn't it be more of its width or height? Um, well, its length would be the full length along it while the S-foils are folded in. Mm, to me, the length would be from the front of the craft to the back of the craft. Um, I see what you're saying. That measurement would be 2.9 meters. But generally, I think... It's 2.9 meters long. <laughs> um, I think the idea is that the longer of the two is generally referred to as the length. Yeah, well, that doesn't make sense. No, I mean, I guess I see what you're saying. But whenever it's specifically talking about a vehicle that has a front and a back, to me, that is the length measurement, is the front to back. Yeah. That makes sense. Whereas width is side to side. You can't exactly say wingspan because then you're talking what would essentially be the height if you had it sitting on the ground. Right. But if it's, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> this is true. Um, the Millennium Falcon is 34.75 meters. So that's pretty close to the length we're talking about. I love these accessible uh, measurement yeah. comparisons. I'm just, I just want to say something everybody can understand and refer yeah. to. And I want to point out that you have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see if you can uh, link this next article to that. 
Uh, so the <laughs> next article is related to um, our exoplanet discussion that we've had before, but we were talking about the Trappist-1 system. Um, this is not that system. One of the Earth-like planets in the habitable, habitable zone of its star uh, that has been discussed by scientists a lot is uh, Proxima b, which is orbiting Proxima Centauri. Um, but new research has, new simulations have shown that it's possible that Proxima b does not have an atmosphere uh, due to the uh, greater radioactivity, not radioactivity, um, gr- due to the greater radiation from its star, as well as like uh, this, its star is a lot more active with flares and, and things like that. So it ionizes the, it would ionize the ga- um, gases in the atmosphere and cause the atmosphere to leave the planet essentially um the ionization would create a charge differential that would allow the gas particles to escape the gravitational pull of the planet so even though proxima b is in the habitable zone it doesn't necessarily guarantee that it's in fact habitable and i thought that was an interesting um note because a lot of times when people see oh it's in the habitable zone it means we could colonize it in the future um it's just saying that it has the potential to be habitable but it doesn't guarantee that it is in fact habitable capable of supporting life that makes sense like if you could look at it like a house that way you could say like okay well this house is above sea level which is what you typically need for a house to work out. And there are plenty of houses that are above sea level that have any other number of issues. Asbestos. They are on fire. (laughs) Infested by spiders, just like there's tons of. (laughs) And what the metaphors there are for extra. In Bigfoot territory. Or all of the above. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that's a good point. I, I'm saying that I think a lot of people might think, might not think too critically of the phrase habitable zone and take it to mean more than what it actually means. Mm-hmm. It's one of those cases where the words scientists use doesn't necessarily align with how people hear them if they're not scientists. Mm. So habitable zone sounds like habitable to people. Right. Capable of supporting life. When you said you had two articles, I didn't realize that one of them was going to be good news and one of them was going to be bad news. <laughs> Sorry, I should have clarified that. Did you have a fun... I have a fun Finland fact for us if we want to go into fun Finland facts. That's the next thing on my list. Okay, so this one... Actually, this is one, Trevor, you might get into... Trevor, what's your favorite food? <laughs> How many times have we said this? <laughs> I don't think it has worked out yet. My favorite food? Yes. I'm really curious what you think the answer is. Um, Generally, just not like 
a specific dish? Um, can we guess? <laughs> you can guess. I almost feel like I should lodge a guess as well. <laughs> Just, it's it's like with those games where okay. you vote, like everybody guesses, and whoever guesses the most, or whichever guess, it's like what if, whichever, yeah, whichever guess has the most people behind it wins, even if it's actually wrong. I'm tempted to just abandon my lead in here. <laughs> no, this is fun. I'm guessing that Trevor's favorite dish, you said dish, food. correct? I said don't think food. Spe- okay, specific food dish, generally? just kind of okay. generally. Generally, his favorite food is, I'm going to go with pizza. Trevor, do you want to lodge a guess before I answer this? <laughs> um... Mike, I was thinking you might say beans, cookies, or pizza, but it's going to lean towards pizza because beans is kind of on the far end of like foods that I like because of their capability to sustain. Cookies are on the far end of foods I like because they're just plain delightful. And then pizza is like right smack dab in the middle. So I'm I'm going to say pizza as well. My second choice would be pies. The correct answer was pizza. Okay. <laughs> so... Whoa! You were both right. We all win on who knows Trevor best. <laughs> okay, so now that that was the I'm so excited. longest intro to <laughs> what should be like a 30-second fact. So something interesting about Finland is that they are also, they have achieved world renown for pizza made of Finnish ingredients by Finns. Because apparently back in the mid-2000s, the Italian prime minister visited Finland and then basically just talked up how horrible he thought the food was and that it, he just kind of disparaged the country and one and roundaboutly just was not kind to it. So what Finland did was instead of retaliating in kind, several years later went to a world pizza competition um, and beat out Italians to win the pizza competition with a... Can we guess their ingredients? There's only one main one, but it is kind of finished. So, yes, oh. go ahead. Okay. So, the ingredients that I think would be on it are coffee, fish, <laughs> and other white foods. Uh, Dustin, they won the contest. <laughs> <laughs> We're going with finished food toppings. <laughs> so, maybe there's um, some uh, birch branches. <laughs> for saunas <laughs> so you could take sauna while you're eating your pizza it was a smoked reindeer i bet it's pizza. made with pine cones smoked reindeer smoked reindeer <laughs> those monsters <laughs> <laughs> that is not what i was gonna guess it so they beat the italians with smoked reindeer wait wait in making this pizza did they also invent the flying saucer <laughs> flying saucer yeah i don't get that joke is that where you throw the pizza up in the air and spin it around no that's where the the powers of the reindeers are imbued into the pizza <laughs> while oh, no footage man. of the event survives to this day <laughs> we can only assume the answer is yes <laughs> Footage was very rough back in 2008. We don't have any <laughs> records from that time. 
did they exclusively use Finnish ingredients? No, they no, they just won a pizza contest. That's the fun fact. They won a world pizza contest. So okay. they, so they still used like tomatoes and stuff. I mean, I think people use the base of the. It was probably reindeer cheese. <laughs> I think they used typical pizza bases, but they just had to make it work as pizza. Like, don't overthink it. <laughs> okay. I would try it. Thank you for bringing us a rousing Finland fact. <laughs> so I said the coffee. I I want to clarify. I said coffee because we've had a previous Fin fact about their heavy consumption of coffee. Well, that's perhaps presumably where they came up with the idea of putting reindeer on a pizza on a coffee fueled bender. <laughs> There's no way they grow it there, though, right? No. The reindeer or the coffee? The rain- no. The, <laughs> the coffee. No, they just consume a lot. Right. So it's not really a Finnish ingredient. I mean, think of it like... But it's a Finn food. Americans eat a lot of bananas and we don't really grow those here. Like that type of thing. What does America run on? Duncan. If you're going yeah. by the slogan. Right. Exactly. That's what I'm going by. And that, and they don't seem to really care too much about their donuts. They always market their. Coffee. Yeah, they're officially dropping. They want to drop donuts from the name and just go to Duncan. <gasps> they just want to be Duncan. Did you not? That is weird. Did you not hear about that? That's like in the past week or two. They're trying it out in certain places to see how it works. That will really hurt them in the kid demographic. <laughs> I don't want to go to Duncan. <laughs> But I want donuts, Dad. I don't even like that kid. (laughs) Tim Hortons, on the other hand, is awful. They sell donuts. Good old Timmy. They had some kind of maple donut that was really good. I love maple donuts. Let's not discuss Tim Hortons. Let's move on. Um, What do you not like about Tim Hortons? Whoa, what's the beef here? They're... They were everywhere. Is, are they too Canadian? Well, it is related to Canada, but it's not. <laughs> the one time I've been to Canada, we were looking around for like places to eat, and the only things that were around were Tim Hortons, and then they didn't have like anything in any of the Tim Hortons like to actually eat. They just had like drinks, and they gave you weird looks when you asked for that. They have drinks and donuts and like deli sandwiches. Not the ones in Canada we went to. They just had drinks, and when you asked about food, you got stink eyes. Tons of stink eyes. They didn't have any donuts? Nope. That's weird. Did you eat poutine while you were in Canada? Nope. No, I, we, what, what did I just say? We had trouble finding any place that had <laughs> no, food. I'm, I'm assuming you found some kind of food. <laughs> um, I think we ended up leaving and not eating anything there until we were back stateside. While you were in Canada, you didn't eat at all. <laughs> it was a day trip. I should. That is highly unlikely. Day trip. <laughs> oh, it was a day trip. Okay. I, I will accept that. <laughs> I saw that misunderstanding coming and I just sat back and waited <laughs> for the collision. <laughs> anyway, so on to our next item of follow-up. Did you guys do anything today? Nope. I sat at home and twiddled my thumbs. I guess I looked in the sky a a few times. I went to a park and sweated a whole lot. Yeah. (laughs) 
Hey, I went to a park and ate a, a pizza there. I experienced a lot of humidity that, imp- that impeded my ability to accurately sweat and temperature regulate. Good talk. <laughs> <laughs> Ready for the main topic? No, who's going to clarify what we are discussing? We are recording this on August 17th. August. August. Sorry, August. <laughs> I'm <laughs> in Taking August. American date formats. August, August 21st, 2017. Yes. The day of the quote unquote great American solar eclipse. I like that I'm complaining about American date formats, but they there's no way that that mixes up where the year is. <laughs> I just, it was just, yeah. Anyway, th- moving on. It was a convenient excuse. I could be wrong, but I think the ISO standard for date wants the year first, which Ooh, no yeah, one does. Yeah. So it I, I doesn't do. happen. I'm trying to help you out somehow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do put the date for the, uh, I put do the put the first. year. I put the year first in certain use cases. Well, you are in accordance with international standards then. Huzzah for Trevor. Um, but anyway, we I, we went and watched Eclipsing, and it was magnificently magical, I would assume. How much did, did you guys enjoy it? I don't know. I guess we haven't mentioned if we did it or not. It was okay. So, yeah, we all went out to various parks for this. Did you say that? Yes. Didn't I? I don't know. Oh. It doesn't hurt to say again. Parks in our region of residence. It was pretty cool. I I thought it was cool too. I don't want my initial sarcastic indifference to be thought of as my actual. I had heard a lot. Like I think I'd heard of everything that was happening, but it's definitely a case of like hearing about it and then seeing it firsthand. It's like, oh, they weren't exaggerating. This really does happen. Like it does become a dark twilight type thing where you can see stars in the middle of the day and like the temperature drops and then you're feeling like it can't be the middle of the day. And like, even, even I was kind of like feeling confused just because the natural light level was different and the shadow level was just wrong. (laughs) What did you guys think? It was like a, yeah, it was like, Kind of like dusk, but different somehow before the actual eclipse happened. I mean, before totality, that is. Um, but yeah, it looked like kind of like the sun was setting because it was getting darker and stuff, but it was also kind of surreally different from that. Surreal would be a good word for it. Yeah. Um, other than when it started to really get dim shortly before totality, a lot of the part where it was just partial wasn't quite as cool as I had hoped because looking at it through the glasses is almost just like looking at a photo of it. Yeah. Um, or even just a diagram of it. Um, but the minutes, I mean, even like maybe half an hour ish leading up to totality and then totality itself was a lot cooler than I realized it would be. Yeah. I would agree with that. Just like watching it transit is like, okay, it's covering the sun. And then like, it's halfway over and you're like, 
there should be more happening than this. <laughs> and then more does start to happen eventually. But it, I felt like a lot of people were saying it was as dark as night. It wasn't that and dark. I didn't, I didn't really understand that statement personally. Cause I don't know, honestly, I didn't even notice the stars cause I was so busy looking at the actual sun and moon, I guess. I, I saw Venus. I noticed Venus. I guess I didn't notice other stars, but I was assuming if you could... Well, I get that's a bad assumption. Venus is the brightest object in our... One of the brightest objects in our sky. So, so yeah, I'm not sure how much of that was visible, personally. But I would take anybody's word at it, I guess. Um, but yeah, the effect on the ground, it, it was not as dark as midnight. Sorry, people who think it was. <laughs> When you can see the sunset in every direction, I think it is. Uh, it was pretty cool basically seeing a sunset in every direction. But at the same time, that is mutually exclusive to it being as dark as midnight. But the actual fact of what is happening is far cooler anyway, so that's fine. And where we were, all of the like cicadas and more evening, nighttimey bugs like went nuts and just started going very loudly right i didn't notice that but i i mean i heard the cicadas and everything when it was very slightly eclipsed so they were just chirping away even in broad daylight see they weren't doing it where we were were they doing it as it was getting dimmer or were they doing it earlier as well for me, it was just when it was getting kind of dimmer. And then they were doing it a little bit after the sunlight. Re- but resumed. I'm asking what Dustin was referring oh, to. Oh, I see. Oh, like while we were eating lunch, I was hearing cicadas. Yeah, yeah, there was some forest noise for sure. Um, I, th- I thought it did get louder. Among other noises. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of music happening around us. It was getting kind of annoying, to be honest. Um. I was expecting, for some reason, I had the impression that it was going to be silent during totality. But I would agree with Matthew's assessment that it seemed like a lot of the insects and stuff kind of got noisy at that part. I've heard other people say that it was quiet where they were, if they were out in the country. Um, I am a little bit jealous of that. I was around people and they were screaming their heads off. It's happening. It's happening. It's yeah. happening. And we weren't like by a huge crowd. Dustin and I were at the same park. Um, it wasn't like a huge crowd. There was a crowd a ways away from us. Um, mm. And then uh, just kind of a scattering of people near us. And they were just kind of, so it was like the individual screams, like it's happening. Like he was saying, um, but not like a general roar or anything. I may have been responsible for one or two of those exclamations myself. yeah in retrospect there was also a radio station playing music down a ways away from us where that crowd was and i was really worried they were going to keep playing their music the whole way through or even try to play some song that they thought was fitting and thank goodness they actually turned the music off for that part they turned the music off but and then kind of they- yelled at the crowd through their speakers for a little bit. And then they actually mercifully shut up during totality. Yeah. It's like, come on, it's a two minute thing. Just give us this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So what was the funniest part of being around people during the eclipse? Oh, there were some winning comments. Um, my favorite that occurred not during the eclipse, but in the time leading up to it was while I was sitting there waiting, a couple of gentlemen walked by and I overheard one of them say, well, you know, we got to get out of here pretty fast afterwards before the eclipse madness sets in. And I was not (laughs) sure if first, like just the phrase eclipse madness is spectacular to the way it was phrased. I was completely unsure of if they were afraid they were going to get eclipse madness or if everyone else was going to get it and they needed to bolt before like they were just surrounded by a crowd full of eclipse madness. Are you sure they weren't talking about traffic? It did the general it rush. Been. I like your interpretation better. It could have been. <laughs> so this was before or after the total eclipse? The way it sounded like no before it happened. Oh. The way made it sound like they were expecting I don't know. The tone suggested something about like behavior, like not so much that like they expected it to cause behavioral shifts in everyone. And listening to other people who were around, like just debating the effects of the eclipse, it seems that that is thing like there is some thought like, oh, yeah, this is totally going to change the way a lot of people are acting or interacting with each other. Like they people just seem to accept that as fact. What was another winning comment? Do you guys have any? My favorite thing was not a comment, but rather the woman taking pictures of the partial eclipse with her cell phone using flash. (laughs) The sun was bright still. (laughs) Like I'd say it was 50%. Also flash works for what? Like six feet. (laughs) (laughs) The journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. (laughs) Oh geez. Well here we're talking about millions of miles. So, the journey of 93 million miles begins with... Begins with a single flash. <laughs> yeah. Matthew, I was asking about... You said you had uh, several winning comments. Oh, well, that had... Not even today, just like leading up people discussing... Discussing things and saying like... Uh, uh, people in like health... Fe- I, I've been around people in health fields that are like, oh, yeah, well, like the full moon has a really big effect on the people we work with. So, you know, the eclipse is just going to cause people to go nuts. And I don't know, just things like that. Like, just. Were there any Bigfoot sightings or skunk man? I didn't see any. Wait, is it skunk man or lizard man? Lizard man. We're not. I mean, skunk man is a thing. Lizard man. It's a Florida thing. Skunk skunk man? I know. Is that what we're talking about? Is it skunk ape? I thought it was skunk I've man. I've heard skunk ape, and it's a specific to Florida thing. I, yeah, I, I know it's specific to our home state of Florida. <laughs> <laughs> Where we watched the eclipse. You're right, it's skunk ape. Where we watched the eclipse, because Florida, Florida was on the path of totality. Everything goes over Cape Canaveral. <laughs> they have to clear it with Cape Canaveral before it can proceed. <laughs> How much did you guys notice the temperature drop? I 
it, it, I noticed it because I was very hot. And then I was like, I'm not so hot anymore. <laughs> it became pleasant, yes. And then it was like, we should get moving before all of the heat returns. A relatively well-known person on Twitter said that they were, they like had a picture and they said, we're lighting a fire because as we hear it's going to get really dark and cold in a few minutes. It's like, but I, if you want to light a fire, fine. But like <laughs> the eclipse is really not a reason to do that. Right. Well, and also not a good, did you say not a good reason? Yeah, not a good reason. Okay, what I mean to say is it's not a good idea to do that because that would screw up the eclipse viewing because you're adding in more light. Yeah. Yeah. Silly people. Also, yeah, anyway. It's like people, I feel like people were afraid they were going to like suddenly be freezing or something. Oh, wait, I thought of another eclipse comment that came up. (laughs) Um, Also from actually a group of people that was sitting close to where I was when I was in the park earlier, there was definitely someone who was talking that said like, you know, I'm, I'm not 100% sold on it, but you know, I'm pretty open to all this mystical stuff. And I think this eclipse might change my life. I don't know. And just like, (laughs) I, I don't know what the, I don't know. It was like, the, the hopefulness was nice, but at the same point, it was like, what do you, I don't know what you're expecting. You don't know what you're expecting. What do you think is going to happen here? Yeah. The reactions I was hearing on NPR as I mucked about in traffic for two hours were, were there were several along those lines of it. Like they were getting really emotional talking about it. And I did not have that moving of an experience. I thought it was very, impressive and interesting. I I should clarify the greater context of this discussion was the eclipse itself had some mystical thing that would literally like by virtue of having viewed it imbue some sort of transformational energy, thus changing your (laughs) life. Not like I saw this, it was a great experience and it's marked me forever. That if that was the tone, okay, fine. I could, that makes sense. Some everyone experiences things differently. Not like there is a metaphysical reality here that is deeply impacting me. <laughs> That's sad. One of my Twitter friends dressed up as Hero from Heroes <laughs> and was tweeting about waiting to receive his powers. <laughs> Did it work? <laughs> um I haven't received word yet, which probably means he's accidentally gone into the past. (laughs) Well, let's check all records about feudal Japan and see if you see anything about him. (laughs) I didn't watch that show. Lucky. There was an eclipse. (laughs) There was an eclipse. It was very dark. Wait, how is that eclipse visible across the world? I just thought of that. (laughs) Because it was a mystical power imbuing eclipse. Okay. Sure. Let's just let, let's not talk about heroes. I don't know. It didn't even imbue their powers, did it? It act, everyone knows it we're activated them. Earth. I think. Oh, did it? Okay. I think that was the idea that like it, everyone who had latent powers all of a sudden was like, "Wow, yeah, yeah." Uh, but yeah, it was visible in many locations across 
the earth for some unknown reason. Like, I remember us complaining about that when we watched it. Because plot. Yeah. The eclipse was traveling at the speed of plot. Yes. If there was an eclipse <laughs> visible by everyone across the entire world, something has gone wrong. <laughs> In that case, yes, maybe that eclipse will change your life because I don't, the, the moon is now omnipresent. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait no wait i've got the perfect line here <clears throat> that's no moon <laughs> the photosphere has suddenly stopped reacting and we are only witnessing the luminescence in the corona that being said should we move on to our main topic i suppose so an hour of follow-up i guess it's not really an hour of follow-up we had right we had our eclipse talk, which was good. I did want to mention one thing about the eclipse. I really liked the sun at 95% dark. Like, I, if the sun could just stay that way forever, I would be happy. Oh, yeah. That I was... wouldn't need sunglasses, and we wouldn't have as much cancer. That was the best two minutes of summer so far. Yeah. While it was nice, it would probably crater our food production. Shun the non-believer. I mean, shun me all you want when we starve to death. <laughs> hey, we just have to eat more reindeer. Pizza. But what will the reindeer eat, Trevor? Man cannot live on reindeer alone. <laughs> Finish coffee. <laughs> but where... <laughs> Our logic is undeniable. <laughs> sure, let's just go with it. If we all starve to death, I will... I'd probably be dead, so I won't have to worry about it. There we go. <laughs> the other option would be for us to to move further away from the sun so that the sun's intensity is lower. I commented to Trevor that I hear Mars is nice this time of year. <laughs> well, should we move to our main topic? Yeah. Okay. I guess. Should I intro this? What what are we doing? Well, I know that you have to get going, Dustin. So what? Goodbye, Dustin. And I would like to welcome our new guest, our special guest for this episode, Science Dustin. <laughs> the acolyte of science. Acolyte of science. Hello, thank you for having me on this show. Didn't we say that I was gonna speak like a robot? Torgo. <laughs> is science done by robots can we insert the music from that do, do, do. Oh, yeah. i don't what, even know what you guys are talking about um manos with torgo oh. the guy who walked really the master would not like if we did not talk about quantum entanglement <laughs> quantum I, entanglement I, I, is in that no i'm that yes. that's how <laughs> <laughs> that's how that guy talks like and that spends oh, okay. 30 minutes walking across the screen with his own little... Okay, okay. How many times too? have you guys watched that Mystery Science Theater 3000 episode? Once. I have seen it... For me. Three times. Once initially, once with you, and once with Dustin. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. I think my viewing was further in the past than Dustin's, because I have no memory of what we're talking about. Yours was about um, 10 months ago. Dustin's was a few weeks ago. 
So yes. Ten months ago. When did we watch it? Halloween. Ten months ago. Halloween, that's right. That's right. Was Puma Man before The Force Awakens? Yes. yes. But we didn't watch the whole... We watched like a bit of that. Yeah. Trevor, did you mention that... Or did we mention to you that we won the trivia at the science? Yes. And we, we could have won it even harder if we had been <laughs> a whole team. We wouldn't have had to answer the tiebreaker question. What was the tiebreaker? Um, it was, what was the average rating um, of the on IMDb of the latest episode in the new series of Mystery Science Theater 3000? And you had to be the closest without going over. Interesting. Okay. They did that because no one's going to know it, and it absolutely had to be a guess. So, just- well, this main topic is going well so far. <laughs> so, science acolyte, Dustin, do you want to tell Sorry, us? Sorry, we don't have to do that. That was probably like my worst joke ever. <laughs> no, I'm fine with it. Okay, <laughs> let's go. Let's go. <laughs> so, science acolyte, Dustin, do you want to tell us what you've been up to this past summer? Sure. I am hoping to enter grad school next fall. And as a manner of preparation for a future in research, I was a part of a research experience at the university I attend. I almost said where it was. Um, And my specific project was in the field of quantum mechanics. Um. So do you want me to just explain the premise of the research or? Yeah, give us a little background. Yeah. Okay. So the original objective of the project was to test a bell inequality using hyper-entangled photon pairs um, in order to uh, find greater confirmation of quantum mechanics and uh, show that quantum mechanics is a more accurate or is accurately describing um, the nature of reality at the quantum mechanical level rather than classical mechanics. So we would be uh, testing a Bell inequality um, to disprove the principle of local realism. However, uh, it didn't, we were not able to meet that objective for reasons that we'll probably go into. And we ended up um, producing along the way the theoretical framework for a new type of quantum eraser experiment that would also employ um, hyper entangled photon pairs. That sounds actually very. Okay, I'm going to say this in do not laugh at the first use of the word because I will explain what I mean. Okay. That sounds very scientific in that... (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) In that the basis of the scientific method is supposed to be the replication of results and then other teams independently going in and being able to try out the same frameworks or whatnot. So you tried... Proving this didn't work out, produced a new framework that other teams will then be able to go on and 
tryout, it feels like you're very much in a link of that scientific method chain. So hence, it seems very scientific. (laughs) Right. Uh, I should clarify. So the reason we weren't able to test the the Bell inequality and meet our first objective was not because any of our calculations or our theory was wrong. It was because the project timeframe was too short for the amount of work that we needed to do. Um, in order to carry out the experiment, we have uh, we we work with high energy lasers and um, very sensitive photo photon detectors, and alignment has to be very precise in order to uh, make these measurements. And it took forever to set up the table, the optic table, and the experiment and try to align things. And and we just ran out of time uh, to do that. So we are actually going to continue with this experiment in the fall semester or throughout the fall semester to try to uh, actually get data on, on the experiment. So I already have many questions. Mm -hmm. Several of them relating to, the definitions of various things in your initial explanation. Sure. So could you possibly give a more accessible general overview of what you're trying to do? Absolutely. Like, I, I don't, I don't was, know what a bell inequality is for one thing. Right. I will happily give that back information. I was being intentionally, technical with the initial um, description in order to elicit questions. So, okay. So it to guide the the discussions. So. Okay. Well, can you give a kind of higher level idea of what you're going to be talking about? Sure. What a higher level, like not uh, now I'm slipping into computer terms. Um, <laughs> not, Dang it. I keep thinking uh, more of them. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If necessary, obfuscate what you were saying a little bit more in order to make it more understandable. I see. Okay. Um, So the, I'm just going to go back to 1935. Um, I think what I'm saying is explain like I'm five. Yeah, not the whole episode, but just like if you can right. very briefly explain what you're talking about in simple terms before diving into the not simple terms. Right. So I need to to talk a little bit about the history in order to for us to understand why this experiment is at all significant. Um so quantum mechanics was I don't remember if it's was begun to be formulated in 19 the 1920s or if it was a finished product by the, I think it was a finished product by the 1920s so it started around the turn of the century and was completed by the 1920s which is an extremely fast development for a scientific theory uh, and a whole field of scientific study um, and this is um around the same time that Albert Einstein was working in 
relativity and publishing his papers on, on those topics. Uh, so we have scientists like Einstein, Max Planck, uh, Niels Bohr, uh, I forget his first name, but de Broglie, um, Ernest Schrodinger, uh, or is it Irwin Schrodinger again? Uh, you've probably heard of these people. Um, Heisenberg was, uh, involved in this. And so this was a new, (laughs) I'm, I don't know. I'll have to make a calculation or a measurement. Anyway, uh, these quantum mechanics was very new and also very counterintuitive and counter to anything that we had experienced. Well, it ran counter to our experiences with the natural world. Um, and so Einstein and other physicists were dissatisfied with the, the theory of quantum mechanics. And in 1935, three physicists, uh, Albert Einstein, uh, Podolsky, what was Podolsky's first name? Well, anyway, uh, there was a, a paper published in 1935 uh, that is colloquially known as the EPR paper and it presents the EPR paradox and EPR stands for Einstein, Podolsky and Rosen, which are the three uh, classical physicists that uh, collaborated to write this paper. So the EPR paper presented a thought experiment in which um, we have two particles that have an initial moment of interaction, but then move in diverging paths so that there's no way that they can interact. Um, in class, according to quantum mechanics, there are certain uh, properties of a particle that can't simultaneously be known. For instance, a particle's uh, momentum or like its velocity, how it's moving, or rather where it's moving uh, cannot be known simultaneously with the particle's position. So uh, the thought experiment, according to uh, the EPR collaborators, showed that you could make a measurement on one particle and that, of course, couldn't affect the other particle. Um, so you let's say we've got particle A and particle B. If you measure the position of particle A, you could calculate out what the position of particle B would be. And likewise, you could have calcul- uh, measured the momentum of particle A and similarly calculate the momentum of particle B. So because it was possible for both uh, properties to be calculated and known, that presented a paradox um, in the quantum mechanical sense of it's impossible for both of these properties to be known. Um, So Einstein, Podolsky, and Rosen saw that as a a sign that quantum mechanics was an incomplete 
um, framework of explaining nature. And they, I mean, they acknowledge that uh, QM does accurately predict experimental results, but there's some fundamental flaw in the theory. There is an aspect of quantum mechanics that would make this not a paradox, and that is uh, the aspect of entanglement. Um, entangled, if with entangled particles, anything that you do to one particle immediately affects the other particle. Um, and the problem with the EPR paper was that they were operating out of the paradigm of local realism. Uh, so you have the property of locality, which is saying that a cause and effect cannot be... Uh, you can't say that two events... I'm sorry. You can't say that one event causes another event if the time between which those two events happen is less than the uh, time or is yes is less than the time it would take a photon to travel between those two so for instance if I were to to uh, blow out a candle while I was eating a birthday cake during the eclipse and the sun went dark at that same moment we couldn't say or we wouldn't say that blowing out the candle caused the sun to go dark because there's no way that those two things are connected. They're, they're just separated by too far a distance that that couldn't be possibly connected. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. Okay. So that's locality. And then realism is saying that um, properties are intrinsic to a particle. Um, they exist whether or not you measure them. Um, so those that is the paradigm out of which uh, Einstein, Podolsky, and Rosen wrote the paper. Quantum mechanics doesn't require either of those things. It says, uh, in quantum mechanics, you can have non-locality. So cause and effect relationships could happen faster than the speed of light. Also, particles don't necessarily have a set um, a um, predetermined set of properties. The properties more manifest whenever you make a measurement. So if you don't make a measurement, you could say that it has several, like, uh, for instance, in polarization, you could say it's horizontally and vertically polarized. It, it exists in a mixed state of, uh, mixed state is poor wording, but a mixture of a superposition of, of uh, horizontal and vertical polarization. I'd like to interject a disclaimer here. I haven't taken a class in quantum mechanics, so it's entirely possible that I will be describing things not entirely accurately. Um, and so I apologize for that. I'm describing things the best that I understand them at this moment, which is with the readings that I've done for this uh, research project. And um, so, yeah, the, the preparation that I've done in accordance with this research project, uh, but it might be an incomplete understanding. So I'm, it's just a disclaimer. If you are, if you, the listener are a physics 
researcher in quantum mechanics and you say, no, he's describing something inaccurately. I'm sorry. I, I don't profess to be an expert in this field. Um, and you could send your feedback to let us know what I mess up. That would be good. I think you're doing a great job. <laughs> Thanks. So the EPR paper came out and then uh, people just debated it for a long time. And it wasn't until I don't remember the year exactly. I want to say it was in the sixties. It might've been in, yeah, it was around that era that a physicist with the last name bell uh, came up with a set of mathematical inequalities that would be, would make it possible to uh, experimentally test whether the framework described by the classical physicists, AKA or for instance, Einstein is accurately describing uh, what's going on, or if the framework described by quantum mechanics is accurately describing what's going on. So if, if physics, if the physical reality is conforming to the quantum mechanical paradigm, you would get one answer. Whereas if it's conforming to the classical paradigm, you would get different answers. Um, and it wasn't until the eighties that we actually had the um, technological capabilities to perform the experiment. Uh, but when it was performed, it was found that the results that were um, found matched the quantum mechanical predictions. So that seemed to suggest that at least one aspect of the local realism philosophy needed to be rejected. Either we could have at best non-local realism or local non-realism. Um, so then our research is, was going to be kind of a, an improvement on that um, with the the experiment that was done in the 80s was performed on entangled photons. We were going to be using hyper-entangled photons, which is simply photons that are entangled in more than one degree. Uh, so our photons would have entanglement in polarization and momentum. Um, whenever you add in a second or a higher degree of entanglement, that changes the results that you could expect from uh, the the uh, from with the spell inequality, and that would make the difference much starker. Uh, so it would be much easier to show this is uh, what's going on. It, it's matching the quantum mechanical description, or it's matching the classical description. What I f forgot to mention is that. Uh, with the uh, experiment done in the 80s and every subsequent Bell inequality test, proponents of local realism have found loopholes that could allow, that could explain the results and still maintain a, a, a classical local realism paradigm. Um, so our results would make it 
impossible to cling to that. If that's, if that makes sense. That's pretty impressive. So then uh, that took uh, a lot of time to set up the experiment and it required more time than we had. But while we were researching and designing things, we realized that uh, we could easily adapt this to a new type of quantum eraser experiment, which is a fun uh, topic in and of itself. Um, would you like me to, to explain what a quantum eraser is? Sure. <laughs> okay. Trevor, are you still there? Yeah, I feel like I need to listen back a couple times before I can actually ask any questions. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Do you have Do you have any questions that you that are like uh, burning in your mind right now? No. I I need you to. I, I need people to ask me questions so that I can. I'm still learning how to communicate this information well to uh, people that are not in the field and it's a necessary skill. So you guys asking me questions and helping me refine my explanation of things is helping me for the future. So, because I'm going to need to be making these presentations at um, physics meetings and to uh, as a future researcher, I would need to present to, business people who are going to be funding my research and things like that. So communication is important. So how are we going to sell this? <laughs> yeah, I don't think we could sell the first experiment. Well, I don't know that we can sell either of them. Okay. <laughs> Just trying to be like a businessman. Yeah. So a quantum eraser, um, do you guys know what a double slit experiment is? Oh, I know this one. Why don't you explain it, Trip? I don't remember how it works. <laughs> but this is, <laughs> Tell me what you remember. But that's like the first phrase you've used that I've actually heard before. Um, okay. I know that it has something to do with waves and particles. Yes. But I don't remember does. I don't remember how it works though. Okay. So um it was originally performed to show that uh, light behaved as a wave. Um, so previously, photons were thought to be particles. And when I say photon, a photon is just the smallest quanta of light, of electromagnetic energy. Basic unit. It's the basic unit of light, yeah. So originally, uh, photons were thought to only be a particle, uh, but then people started to think, well, there are some aspects of it that seem to indicate that it could be a wave. So um, Young created a an experiment that used two slits, hence double ex- double slit experiment. And if light behaved as a particle, he could expect to see um, the particles passing between or through one or the other slit. And on, I think he maybe used a photographic plate on the back end of the experiment. So on the photographic plate, he would get exposure in two bars correlating to the two slits. So the, the light 
traveled straight through one of those two slits. What he instead found was that he got a series of bars, uh, what are called fringes. Um, and this indicated that light was uh, a wave passing through the slits. So if you can kind of imagine um, a pool of water and you have one, uh, like a wall going through your swimming pool and there's a gate in the wall. If uh, you have a wave approaching that gate, that single gate, it would uh, propagate outward in, in circular in a circular fashion from that one gate. But if you made a second gate, what happens is that you will have um, points where the troughs or the crests of the waves combine to make a larger or a deeper trough or a larger crest or a deeper trough or, and you will also have points where the, you get a trough combining with a crest to create like zero amplitude that cancels each other out. So that's, so we've got constructive interference and destructive interference with uh, wave properties. And that's the result that was shown with the double slit experiment uh, was this constructive and destructive interference pattern uh, with the light waves. I think that that I, I could be mistaken, but I think that that property of waves is also how sound canceling headphones work. I am not sure just to provide a reference point for people. Um, maybe I should confirm that before I actually say it. <laughs> <laughs> but I think what they're doing is listening for sound waves and then putting out the opposite wave or like uh slightly or, changing the phase of it. Uh, something. <laughs> yeah. I guess I don't actually have any idea what I'm saying. Never mind. I mean, that sounds like a plausible wave. I, that would probably be in the classification of ap- active noise cancellation. Oh yeah. As opposed to passive. Yeah. Passive is just, you're blocking it. Yeah. Um, so with a quantum eraser experiment, it uses that double slit idea kind of, um, and there are actually lots of different, um, quantum eraser setups. Um, I'm going to describe one that can, uh, sorry, can we go to the, the headphone thing for just a second? Yeah. So we don't just leave people wondering if that was true or not. Right. I didn't realize you were um, actually looking that up. Wikipedia says most noise canceling headsets in the consumer market generate the noise canceling waveform in real time with analog technology. Um, I don't know if that answers the question. Yeah, that makes it sound like they are emitting a a second sound wave. Oh, oh here's a here's a better thing. Um, they incorporate a microphone that measures ambient sound, generate a waveform that is the exact negative of the ambient sound, and mix it with any audio signal the listener desires. So yeah, that, yeah, they are generating the opposite wave. Oh, so like if you're playing music, they would mix in the negative of whatever the ambient noise wave form is right into that music. And then you don't hear that because it's canceled out by the positive wave. Right. Interesting. So that's just a, a practical application of the thing that Dustin is saying about waves even though it has nothing to do with quantum stuff. (laughs) But it is interesting and applicable. 
Um, with a quantum eraser, I should probably just give a very simplified version of this. Um, a quantum eraser uses entangled um, particles, whether it's photons or electrons or things like that. Um, and what you do is you try to, uh, if you make a certain, or if you don't make any measurement at all, um, your results will, will match this waveform. But if you, let's, okay, so let's say that you have, again, particle A and particle B. You are looking at the results from particle B, but you're only making measurements on particle A. So if you make no measurements on particle A, this is like the first phase of the quantum eraser experiment, what you see from particle B is a an interference pattern. If uh, you make a, a measurement on particle A that gives us some kind of information about particle B, um, I'm sorry, I should have a, a clearer explanation of this is that you have a, your classical double slit experiment on particle B. I forgot to mention that. So with particle A, if you make some kind of measurement that could give us information about which path through that double slit particle B travels, you don't even have to, to measure which path it took. Just the ability to know that information results in uh, losing the interference pattern and you just get two bars as if particle B were a particle. Um, another piece of information is you do get interference patterns even with electrons. It's not just photons. Um, and then if you are to change the way you measure particle A um, to, in, in a way that you lose that ability to know which path particle B travels through the double slit, that reintroduces the uh, interference pattern by erasing the which way information. So that's the eraser part of the phrase quantum eraser. So uh, what we were going to be doing is using hyperentangled photons in our quantum eraser. And as best as we could tell, no hyperentangled quantum erasers have been proposed. So we're actually... Uh, working on a journal, journal article in that to uh, to propose that theory. So do you guys have any questions or comments? Am I incredibly boring? I think you did a good job of explaining it. My hang up with asking questions at this point is that I feel like most of my questions are probably actually things you've already answered or things you've even just said. If you still have that question, though, it's good to rephrase it because I probably didn't communicate it clearly. Um, or I just wasn't listening well. It's probably the latter. Not the latter. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's probably the former. <laughs> okay, I got all the stuff about the slit experiment and everything, but can you tell me again what a quantum eraser would do? Yeah, so when we say quantum eraser, it's just um, what that means is 
the way that you measure particle A affects the results that you get from particle B, which, okay. um, again, using local realism is really hard to explain. Um, but, I mean, if you're just looking at it quantum mechanically, it's obvious, like... Um, I, I, so I said before, like polar, if you uh, are looking at polarization and you're not really sure, you, you don't know what the polarization of any given photon is unless you make a measure, a fo- uh, polarization measurement. Um, and so knowing that information through, uh, can give you information about which, uh, path through the double slit experiment photon B would have taken uh, based on how the, the experiment is set up. There, there would be things that make it obvious which way it had gone. Um, and this is, again, I don't know if I said this before, but there are lots of different experimental designs for quantum erasers. And this is one that is fairly simple and easy, easier to explain verbally without diagrams. So that's why I chose this one. Is this, this is more of a general question. I still didn't totally mm-hmm. get that explanation. Oh, never mind. Okay. I probably didn't even answer your question. What was your question again? What is a quantum what eraser? Exactly. What a quantum eraser do the quantum. Er- and I'm not asking about the methodology or something. Just what is the goal that you're accomplishing with that? Uh, the goal is, my supposition is it is a an experiment that confirms or makes it more plausible that quantum mechanics is an accurate theory does that is that what you're asking like what's the what's the end goal for yeah, doing it's a almost more like the why um, yeah and i mean a lot of experiments are just um, let's pursue this curiosity that we have about this aspect of nature and see what happens. And so I imagine that's probably what was the original intent of the quantum eraser. Like we're seeing these theories uh, from quantum mechanics and what if we did this thing? what would happen? Uh, Would uh, the quantum, based on our understanding of quantum mechanics, we're expecting this result. Is this actually what happens? And so you run the experiment and it shows, yeah, this quantum mechanical prediction was borne out by the experimental results. So it seems kind of like a curiosity-driven experiment, at least in the very first quantum eraser and um, subsequent quantum erasers are probably like, well, what if we, instead of doing this, we tweaked it a little bit and did this instead. Do we still get the same results and those types of deals? I I feel like there's still an answer somewhere between the levels that you've answered at that I'm having a hard time knowing exactly what to ask. Um, why is it called quantum eraser? Because um, 
changing the way that you measure particle A erases our information that we had gained about which way particle B went through the the slits. So what we're talking about is um, what's known, what's called which way information. Um, so we're looking at the, when we make one uh, measurement, when we do one thing to uh, particle A, we gain which way information on particle B. But if we do this next subsequent thing to particle A, that erases the which way information and it goes back to acting like a wave. So that's what we mean by eraser. We're erasing the information we have on which path particle B is taking. Okay. And what do you mean when you say you're erasing the information? We no longer have a way of ascertaining okay. which way particle B traveled through the the slits. Okay. Matthew, what were you going to say? I didn't have anything to say. I thought you had like a more generic question. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah. Um, is this what more just related to career things are? Is this generally the subset of physics that you want to continue delving into, or is it just the thing that was most interesting at the present time? It's more of the latter than the former. I I am wanting to pursue a career in astrophysics. Um, I I would like to do research in in that that realm of physics. However, quantum mechanics is such a fundamental part of physics part of physics at this point that I'd be encountering quantum mechanics no matter what field I go into. Um, and so, even though this isn't this wasn't a an astrophysics research project it's not it's not like it's useless to me or like that it's exclusive of the astrophysics angle right um another thing about the research experience is just that gaining experience and what does it take to do research what is the process like um and i found that research isn't easy Um, my advisor on several occasions said if research was easy, everyone would be doing it. Or if, if setting up these experiments was easy, everyone would be doing it. Like it's, it's hard. It takes a lot of work. Um, and if you mess up one thing, it can invalidate the whole. (laughs) Right. Right. So we had to be very careful with our design so that we would not have any loopholes in our our uh, results like um, <clears throat> yeah. So it takes a lot of work, but it's really exciting. I, I felt like I had a great deal, a great amount of purpose during this research experience. Um, so it was affirming that that is the field I want to go into. Uh as far as like being a, a research scientist rather than a Spanish teacher. Um, yeah. So it, it was valuable on several levels. Very cool. Trevor, do you have other questions? We had hoped to delve into some of how 
science fiction and quantum mechanics relate, but I don't think we really have time in this episode. Yeah. So that might be something to save for another time. Yeah. And I might true. have better questions if I have a chance to listen back to everything you just said <laughs> <laughs> and then ask the questions about the other things. Yeah. Something that I don't think I've ever explained is what is entanglement. I've used entangled a lot in this discussion, but I don't think I've ever really said what, what I mean by that. Um, so like two particles or two photons or whatever are considered to be entangled. If mm, entanglement is kind of more of a mathematical formalism that, uh, dis, that accurately like predicts what we find in experiments. And this is true of a lot of quantum mechanics. It's very math centric and probability centric. Um, and we can't readily describe what is actually going on. Like physically, if you roll a ball down a hill, you can explain like why it hopped up at over this rock and the trajectory it had and things like that. Um, you can explain mechanics like classical mechanics, cause and effect relationships. Um, why the, the sun went dark today with quantum mechanics. There are a lot of things that we don't know exactly what is going on, but the math that we use is predicting accurately results. And so we, we have these mathematical formalisms that we use um, and entanglement in the, the purely mathematical description is saying that when we have two particles, the waveforms for those two particles are interconnected and can't be separated. Uh, so when we were talking about like noise canceling headphones, you have the waveform for the ambient noise in quantum mechanics. We have wave equations, which you could think of as like the waveform for this particle. So Particle one and particle two are entangled if their waveforms are interconnected and and not you can't factor out one. It, it's not like they're being multiplied together there. Um, and so in our experiment, the way that is manifested is we have a high energy laser that we shine into what's known as a BBO crystal. It's a beta. Uh, Beta barium borate, I think, is the specific type of crystal. But BBO is just barium borate. Uh, so what this crystal does is one out of every million, I think, or it might be even higher than that, it might be one out of every 10 to the ninth or something, photons that go through the crystal will be absorbed by the molecule and then split off into two new photons that are half the energy of the original photon. And the way that this crystal is formed, I don't know exactly if it's just the crystalline structure or the way that the crystal material is cut or something like that. Uh, we are using what's called type one uh, down conversion. 
so that the two photons that are emitted travel in a in a set trajectory away from the the crystal and they their polarizations are connected so if you were to measure hmm, so their polarizations are either both horizontal or both uh, vertical so if we were to measure in our quantum eraser experiment if we were to measure um the linear polarization of particle a and found that it was horizontal we would know that particle b was also horizontal and vice versa um so that's what we mean by entanglement. We don't know exactly um, what physically is going on, how they are connected. How does that measurement on A instantaneously... T- I mean, it, there's there's some uh, uncertainty as to what physically is going on at that at the level. But, and it, it might more be my lack of understanding in this field than um, in the science community, but it's an interesting concept and an important concept for quantum mechanics entanglement. Unless Matthew has something, I think I might have a final question for us. I'm good. Okay. Uh, This relates to something I noted earlier about how scientific terminology and popular terminology don't always line up so well. Every once in a while, a headline comes up that says, in effect, scientists have achieved teleportation. And people get excited in the comment section, like, wow, this is going to be amazing. I hate driving to work or whatever. Have you ever seen... Headlines like that? Articles like that? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it seems to come up every so often. And then Mm -hmm. when you look at the article, it says, scientists in this or that place have successfully teleported a photon. (laughs) And that's basically... And then everybody's like, wait a minute. I think we may have a misunderstanding because I wanted to travel to Europe in five minutes. And this doesn't sound like that, but Hey, maybe in 10 years, I don't know. Um, so can yeah. you tell us I, I'm what is going assuming on? It here? would be a lot longer than that. Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> can you tell us what, is there a miscommunication going on here between scientists and journalists and people in general? Well, I think probably there's just some baggage with the term teleportation uh, are you just specifically talking about teleportation or more generally? I am thinking of quantum teleportation and I think that that is the source of the confusion here. Okay. So yes, when, um, when the general public hears teleportation, what they think of is like Star Trek and, um, being beamed up by Montgomery Scott. And so I think what is going on is that the scientists are using a term that closely dis- – in this situation, I think it's more of science is borrowing a term 
that has been around and that the public might understand and um, appropriating it for to describe something that is somewhat related to that. And, or I mean, I guess it's not somewhat related. It is related to that, but it's much more basic than what anyone is uh, expecting. So like you said, it's, it's a single photon, which is a big deal. Um, but again, you're using um, the property of entanglement and waveforms to annihilate a photon at one point and then reproduce that photon at another point. Um, I don't know how well I answered your question, but oh, I, so I, they are in fact annihilating and reproducing a photon. Yes. Not simply conveying information about the entanglement or whatever. Well, okay. So it might be that they are conveying information. I, just happened to read a section of my textbook on quantum teleportation before our, it was probably on like Tuesday that I read this. Um, and I am not really familiar with quantum teleportation. I do know that it involves, you have an entangled pair and then you have this third photon that uh, you somehow combine the information from that third photon into one of the entangled pair and then that information is then automatically, automatically, <laughs> magically teleported to uh, the other entangled partner. Um, so do you mind if I just look this up in my textbook real quick? Uh, sure. So when I read through this, it was more of a cursory reading because I was looking for its explanation of entanglement to make sure that when I talk about it here, I can accurately explain it. And I did not read all of the explanation of teleportation. Um, okay, so it's called, uh, in one of the sentences, it's called teleportation because the um, the original quantum state is destroyed in the process. Uh, so you're, you end up with a net gain of zero, I guess. Um, whether, rather than calling it replication, where you would have two photons with that initial quantum state. Um, this might be better for me to have as follow-up for next week than trying to read through this and explain it now. But that's kind of, that's more outside the realm of my expertise at this moment. Okay. Uh, because our research didn't really deal with teleportation. Um, so I'm not sure whether it's simply the wave information that's being, I mean, it is the wave information that's being transported uh, or teleported but I don't know if it's, if it stops there or if, I mean, I didn't realize there was a third photon involved. Oh, okay. So that, yeah. So the, the means of teleportation is through this entangled pair. Right. I knew there was the entangled pair. It sounds like there's a third photon that I didn't realize was actually involved. So it is a step closer to the popular understanding than I thought was the case. Right. 
But still, so, would it be accurate to say that the confusion in these articles is at its root because of the difference between the scientific term quantum teleportation and the popular understanding of teleportation? I suppose so. Or is there not as much misunderstanding as I think? I, I think that the the scientific use of teleportation is a very specific meaning and the popular use of teleportation is a more broad term. And so that probably is the confusion because whenever we hear teleportation, it, it brings in other uh, images. Yeah. Whereas when the scientists use quantum teleportation, they're, they're meaning a very specific thing. Um, so if we were thinking of this in terms of Star Trek, like the entangled pair would be the transporter pads in two different right. starships. And then that third photon is the person that you're beaming across. Um, so there's that. I was, so I was hesitant to say like, it's just the information because the information itself is describing the, a photon. So if we have that information, we should have the photon, like the original photon. Um, but again, this is outside of my expertise, so I can't, okay. I don't feel comfortable explaining that. I'll, I'll bring that up and follow up next. Time. Okay. Yes, we will need follow up because I was asking this because I thought it was something that I was kind of clear on that we might be able to clear up for the people. And now I am less clear than when we started. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's tough to um, write popular articles on these really technical topics. Right. And so it's not at all surprising that a headline might seem misleading after reading the the body of the article. It might not even be that the the author was trying to be misleading. It's just as you were saying, the the popular conception of the word is different than right. the scientific usage. Okay. Well, we should probably close for now. Thanks for letting me ramble. Yeah. Thank any, you for providing information. Do you have any additional thoughts, Matthew? No, I'm looking. It'll be interesting to hear the follow-up with Dustin's preparation on the more theoretical aspect and application of, not even application, but extension of our discussion today. Okay. Well, this has been Better Worlds. You can find us online at betterworlds.net. The notes for this episode, including all the stuff we talked about in the beginning of the show and then various articles related to the stuff Dustin talked about, if you want to read further, you can find at betterworlds.net slash podcast slash 18. You can find us on Twitter at betterworldsnet or you can email us at feedback at betterworlds.net. We also have a Slack channel where you can talk with us about stuff we talk about on the show or just other general things. Um, that requires an invitation at the moment, but you can simply email us at feedback at betterworlds.net. Let us know you want into the Slack channel and we will send you an invite. Um, it would be helpful to us if you like the show 
to rate the show on iTunes or give it a star in Overcast or whatever else you use to listen to the show. Um, just various thumbs and stars and reviews and such can help people find the show. This episode is brought to you by Audible, which is an app that you can use to listen to audiobooks or purchase audiobooks. Um, I find it very handy to be able to listen to books because uh, there are just too many books out there to read. And listening to them provides more time to read. So I listen to books while I'm driving or doing dishes or uh, all kinds of other stuff. Theoretically exercising, that sort of thing. Um, I am about to start listening to Golden Hand by Garth Nix. Ooh. I haven't started yet, but I have that one on my phone ready to go on my drive to work tomorrow. Um, is that with the um, Sabriel series? Uh, no, yes, it is Hold related. On. The abortion novels? Uh, yes. Yeah. Old Kingdom the Old novels. Kingdom trilogy, yeah. Or the Old Kingdom Pentuk. <laughs> oh, series, yeah. That works. So is this part of the the story arc or is it more of a um kind of a side story really is golden hand after lirio it's after a portion after a portion oh right lirio is the second one of course it leads in direct pretty directly from the creature in the case which is a short story in a big collection okay right so there's book one two three the creature in the case is a short story that happens after book three. And then this happens after that. Mm -hmm. And you really should read like it's helpful to, you want to read Clariel before you read golden hand. Oh, right. I forgot about Clariel as well. I have read Clariel. Clariel is a prequel. Um, yeah, I've read all the other ones. So I, (laughs) I've wanted to read golden hand for a while and finally I'm all caught up. Although I guess it didn't take much. I just had to read. Clariel and the creature in the case. A tiny bit of follow-up regarding Dustin's suggestion from the last episode. I noticed that X-Files cold cases, is that what it was called? Cold cases? I don't remember. It is not only read by David Duchovny, but also Gillian Anderson. Is it Gillian or Gillian? I've always thought it was Gillian. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Gillian Anderson. Gillian Anderson. They're both on it. I'm sorry. I don't know how to say your name. Uh, I was unaware that she was on there. Hmm? I I was not aware that she was one of the readers as well. That's pretty cool. Yeah, they're both on it. And it is, in fact, an Audible exclusive. So if you want to listen to that, you have to get Audible. And you should do that by going to audibletrial.com slash betterworlds. Dustin, did you also have a suggestion? Um, sure. If I were to pick out a, a book relating somewhat to our topic, there is uh, a book called Astrophysics for People in a Hurry Ooh. by Neil deGrasse Tyson. Oh. And it is read by Neil deGrasse Tyson. Oh. Mm. Remember <laughs> how you felt about uh, Newt's Commander? Yeah. I I understand. I'm just... <laughs> 
Some people like listening to him. I don't hate him. He just rubs me the wrong way. Yeah. Probably the way he talks about Star Trek and Star Wars. <laughs> How does he talk about Star Trek and Star Wars? He's pretty condescending towards Star Wars. How does he feel about Star Trek? That's the real question. He thinks it's amazing. He says that Star Trek is better because it's realistic. Yes, and we have teleportation. To, to paraphrase, because <laughs> I don't remember his um, exact words, Star Trek is realistic and Star Wars is just a bunch of fantasy mumbo jumbo, which kind of makes me think he just doesn't understand the power of myth. But that is a conversation for another day. <laughs> and on that note. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I was super interested in the book until you told me who read it and who was. <laughs> <laughs> well, there might be alternative narrators. I don't know. No, I doubt it. Probably I'll not. probably check it out anyway. <laughs> um, let's see. I I don't dislike him enough to not want to hear what he has to say about astrophysics. <laughs> if he yeah. does in fact talk about astrophysics and stays away from Star Wars and religion, it will probably be just fine for me. Right. Um, I feel like I was going to say something else. Oh, I got one more bit of follow-up from the episode we just did. <laughs> this is real-time follow-up. Real-time follow-up. I would like to point out that earlier in this episode, Dustin, you started talking about how you were doing research with lasers and crystals, and I did not say anything about Galen or so. <laughs> and I think you should be proud of me. I am proud of you. I held off for like a full 20 minutes. <laughs> Well done. I think that wraps it up. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Go then. We're going to talk about the eclipse. If you want to bring up some things you've heard, that's fine. Oh, me. okay. I'm going to do that then. <laughs> or as we say in, I don't know where I was going to say, fine by fine. Fine by fine. <laughs> roger, roger. Cheerio, good friends.